Um, yeah. yeah, we're coming to you on a Monday after Halloween. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the seasonal spookiness has already had its great hurrah. But, it has. Uh, but here we are on Director Peace Theater, like the guy said. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm going to take this episode's uh, thesis, I guess. My name is Abe yeah. Epperson. I'm here yeah, with my co-host, who is amazing director. <laughs> Say your Adam, name. Adam Ganser. Thank you. Wow. That was very... I, I love the pontificator. <laughs> really yeah. liked it. Yeah. You're, yeah. I'm really Jeez. excited to talk about Sam Raimi today with you. I am too. This It's crazy to me that it took us this long to na- land on a Raimi film. He's perfect for this podcast. Uh, yes, yes. Sam, we were just saying that before we started recording. Sam Raimi is like exactly in the wheelhouse of what this podcast should be, uh, which is a topic that we spend almost as much discussing as all of our theories. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what should we do? What should this podcast be? Let's do what? a whole series on that. Podcast, what art thou? Um, yeah, <laughs> this one we're doing, Drag Me to Hell. And hot take, I put this above or at least on the same level as The Quick and the Dead and Dark Man. I think it's yeah. probably his, probably, uh, it might be his best film. Depending I on feel what you're looking for. comfortable with that. I like Quick and the Dead a little better than this, but mm-hmm. I could argue that this is a better movie. Mm-hmm. I love that it doesn't, this movie doesn't take itself seriously as much as the, uh, those other two. And I think that that's a nice little nook for Sam Raimi to call his home. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's ever made a movie that took itself that seriously. Took like, it. Like, what? Dark that Man. Took its, nah, it's been a long time since I've seen Dark Man. I mean, there's, uh, he's definitely, he does have comic bends, but he. Oh, for sure. For but sure. Quick of the Dead is played pretty straightforward. Yeah, there's not but really. Doesn't, there's you yeah, get Leo going like, "Oh, I'm how am I this good?" It's like ah, there's moments where you kind of like smile with glee, but it's not like he's actually going full on Evil Dead too. No, no, he's not. He's not making a parody or mm-hmm. making a comedy send up of his movie, right? But like even Quick and the Dead is at its most serious a sort of winking Tarantino film, right? Like that, like to yes. me, that's as serious as he gets. Yes. Okay. I would say that that is correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So today, there's going to be kind of two parts to my thought uh, that you'll join me with. First, how does this work? How does this film work directorially? Like, what, what is, what, what makes Sam Raimi? What tactics does he use to try to horrify you? And what is the story trying to do? Uh, this kind of leads into the second bit, uh, which is. Let's itemize that and turn that into what does Raimi do in a horror sequence? Hopefully by the end of this, you'll notice Raimi's footprint in like other films and how one could recreate a horror sequence of your own a la Raimi. Right. And that's really sort of why I think everybody who is a filmmaker has a kind of love spot for Raimi is that like he sort of represents the promise of being an indie filmmaker. Yeah. Right, like it's yeah. like he's just a guy who made a movie, and look where look what he look at everything he's done. Yeah. He made Spider-Man. and he's got all these weird quirks, like he involves his car and all of his movies, and you know he has a a, a thing called a Raimi board. <laughs> right, know, like, right, of course. There's the all Raimi these board. things that you just go, ah, oh, Raimi, look at you, ah, oh, you were uh, <laughs> you were a roommate with uh, what was it, Joel Cohen, <laughs> of the Cohen brothers' fame. Ah, that's so cute. Is that true? 
Yeah. They uh they yeah. Oh my god. They that's knew so each crazy. other. They grew up together. I think wow. in Michigan. I think they grew up in Michigan. Uh and then I did not they know went that. to NYU. I can't, I can't remember if they met at uh NYU or whatever, but they were roommates and um Ramey was the one who told if I'm correct, the story goes, Ramey was the one who told the Coen brothers, you know what's a really smart tactic for you to do is film a trailer for Blood Simple and then go to dentists and just show them the trailer with like bring a reel to reel and just play it for them and then get money that way. And that's what they did. And they raised like almost a million dollars. And that's the start of the Coen brothers career. God. So off of the advice of Sam Raimi, we may or may not have had Coen brothers. One, wow. one could argue. I mean, I don't know. Wow. But like, uh, that could yeah. be us. Abe, this yeah. could be us. This could be our origin story. Joel Cohen was, this, I believe, assistant editor on Evil Dead. Wow. I, how, did, how did this fact never hit me before now? I don't know, man. Wow. I, it's because I'm a huge, got a huge heart on for the Cohen. Yeah, you, you got a Ramey rod. I know. <laughs> and a Cohen brought And a Cohen, Cohen brought her. Yeah, Cohen. <laughs> Cohen boner. Uh, and a Ramey rod. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Rain yeah. Rod. Yeah, <laughs> All <yeah>. right. So, <laughs> so I want. Should I begin? Daddy? Oh, please, Daddy? please, Can please, I begin? please, please. Uh, so let's talk about themes and characters. Just get it out of the way. Most of my favorite films, personally, tell a story that like exemplifies a basic thought, experiment, or a theme. It's usually done via parable. Um, yeah. There's reasons why I like that, but I won't go into it now. It can be questioning the purpose of something, tell us that there's proof of something or that that something doesn't even exist and it's all made up or something like that. Um, I think that's it, actually. Those are all the stories, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> the basic yep. theme of Drag Me to Hell to me is justice, namely mm. that its results in this world are unavoidable. Yeah. Raimi has... Uh, so if you haven't watched the movie recently, Raimi has an old poor European woman referenced in this movie, you know, problematically as a gypsy cursed our protagonist, Christine, a loan officer, cause she's denied a bank loan. Specifically, Mrs. Ganoush, the name of the European woman begs her to help her, which uh, once she's denied, she feels shamed. So in turn, she vows to exact justice and have Christine beg at her feet, as she says, calling yeah. upon the demon, the demon Lamia. And then the rest of the movie is basically a three-day haunt as the promise of damning Christine's soul immediately after that. So act two and three also provide a series of circumstances that were it to play out without them, Christine might actually avoid damnation and dying. But... Mrs. Ganoush dies, a seance fails, an envelope meant to dispel the curse is accident accidentally switched out by Christine's boyfriend, Justin Justin Long. So ultimately, she is dragged to hell. Um, so can I ask a quick question? Are yeah. you suggesting that there was a version of this story somewhere in the, in the cosmos where this wouldn't have played out this way? I think what Sam Raimi is doing with this story is saying... If this one thing didn't happen, and if these three things didn't happen, they could have avoided it. People have avoided Lamia before because there's rituals. You you can sometimes kill a cat or kill a, a small animal, or sometimes you can you know do, and they all fail. And so I do believe that if like the seance worked, maybe she wouldn't die, right? Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like I I found this movie to be kind of fatalistic. 
uh, but I don't want to derail your point. No, I think that's right. I think that what it's saying is that it's either Final Destination where, you know, it's she's destined to go to hell. But or uh, it's just like a series. Of, he's not making a comment on that. Its results are unavoidable in this movie because of the procession of events. But yeah. those events weren't necessarily always to damn her. She okay. tried very hard to not be dragged. That's why it's drag me to right. hell. Not I'm taking you to hell. You know, you're you're fucked. Let's go to hell. Right. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does feel sort of like the like the the Odyssey, not, not Odyssey, the uh, Oedipus myth, right? Where it's sort of like he he goes out of his way to try to stop his fate from happening, and then of course ends up causing it. It feels like that to me. Exactly. I think yeah. that there's a pecu- there's a very specific and uh, ju- system of justice here because uh, we see the battle battle of heaven and hell, which implies a promise of like an infallible system of deeds determining mm-hmm. your position mm-hmm. in the afterlife, right? So if killing a kitten doesn't you know thwart the lamia, if our demon slayers uh, have a ritualistic sacrifice or they can find loopholes like regifting to the dead at one point at the end of the film. Um, you know, the kind of seer is like, yeah, actually that would work. If you give, if you gave it back to the dead woman who cursed you, uh, it's technically you're giving a gift and her soul would be damned and you wouldn't. It's a loophole, but it's technically we're working off the writ and we kind of think that there's a power behind the writ. That's kind of the implication of ritualism and the implication of heaven and hell and this, all this, you know, longstanding documentation of demons, you know, coming into the world. Um, so there's was, this it, weird system at play that we're slowly mining and learning more about and learning that there are loopholes. Yeah. It, it was sort of like a mix of things. Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? Cause like, it was like a mix of like astrology and like like that sort of like Grecian uh, pantheon kind of hell mm-hmm. uh, mixed with like a traditional Judeo-Christian understanding of heaven and hell. Like like there were sort of pieces of each of them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which I mentioned because I do think that I do think that in the film we're trying to like get our bearings about sort of how does it work a lot. Right, and he's constantly sort of yeah. educating us about how does it work. Does that is that how you experienced it? Uh, yeah, I think that it's kind of like what you're saying before to me, where there is this approach that it's almost like she's always gonna go to hell. Yeah. Um, yes, I think I, that's that, what I thought. That's what he's revealing. I don't think we're supposed to think that, and that's part of the story. That's part True. of the reveal is that True. he's saying he is probably saying that, but um, he's doing it by giving us red herrings all the time. Yes. I think that's a, that's a, a I love that interpretation. I think that totally yeah. fits the movie. Uh, yeah. Just briefly. One last question. I'm sorry. Did no. you, when you watched this movie, did you know the ending? Did I anticipate the ending? Did, no, no. Did you walk? Did you walk into the movie? Not knowing the ending? Oh yes, been... I, I didn't. I didn't know the ending. Okay. I watched it in theaters. So okay, great. Yeah, I did not. I I had seen the ending before. You had seen the ending, so you knew she was. I did. She... Yeah, and I think yeah. it might have colored Which my is, viewing a little uh, bit. One one of my favorite type of endings of a movie. Fantastic just, ending. You yeah. know, it's like a whiplash. <laughs> you know, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's like, and the thing is done, and cut to credits right yep. in your face. Drag me to hell. Yep. Real cool. Real cool. Um. Let's talk a little bit about character just to get out of the way. Christine denies her, which is kind of like 
the justice thing. It's kind of, it's the, the effort that you need to put in to make the script, the thing, because really we know that the uh, haunt and the gore are the thing. It's a Raimi show and it's specifically a toss back to evil dead. So let's cut to the chase in like fashion. I'll describe it quickly. Christine is this kind of deny. She's a, she lives in the city now and she denies her humble kind of farm hick past. Uh, There's a photo of her, and she's a little pudgy and it's implied that it's like when she's a teen and she was like, miss, Por- what is it? Pork queen. <laughs> My <laughs> or something. God. Yeah. My it's like, God. so she's this farm hick and she has attuned her image to the palette of the city. And therefore in justice, we need to talk about checks and balances. Kind of yeah, like yeah. how she's a banker. Ambition is her sin. She appears to have a good heart, uh, to others. Uh, however, she like, she basically is kind of selfless, in some walks of life, she, she adopts cats. She's a vegetarian. She's a supporting partner and lover. But when it comes to Mrs. Ganoush, she admits later in the film that she didn't need to deny her loan. She just does it in order to curry favor with the boss and get a leg up on the uh, promotion to assistant manager that she and Stu, uh, her competition, are going for. So that's her sin, right? Yeah. I. I mean, I think that He also tries to kind of reinforce it by every time she's under some, like, real duress, like, under real pressure, Mm -hmm. she kind of does lose her shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's, like, the one thing you see sort of over and over. She's not good at it. But I think – I don't think that's a part of the system because, like, I think that's just a choice that Sam Raimi made to make things a little bit more scary. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right about that, too. I I, I was trying to make sense of that. But yeah, I think here's you're right. the thing. Raimi is doing a very fundamental slasher, old store, uh, old uh, style horror trope thing here. In typical Raimi fashion, this is like her ambition is a is her sin is a huge statement, right? For a movie, the reason why is that if this was like an Alex Garland movie, the movie would be about the terror of ambition. Right. And what makes ambition haunt you. That's not what Raimi does. This is not the heart of the terror. Ambition is just an excuse for why the events happen. Rather for Raimi, and I think why people like Raimi, and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, anybody. But I think it's because the craftsman approach he takes with this impressive gore, special and visual effects, and just the steady reliance on his unique camera and editing approach make his films fun to watch. Yeah, it's kind, I of, mean, the, he, it's kind of the argument absolutely. for all gore movies or horror movies in the end, at least in this classically kind of this classic approach. And Raimi's that's what he does. He doesn't really change it up. Yeah, you know? he's he's one of the most fun filmmakers consistently that we see movies from. And I think he's kind of defined a whole generation of movie watchers sensibility about horror, but also just movies. Where yep. like I think I think a whole generation of people sort of like have that kind of like man just pop some popcorn and have a good like lay back and let it happen to you kind of vibe <clears throat> yep. about movies. Yep. I think I think he's really at the front forefront of that. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's why I took this. That's why I took this uh, thought experiment here, this uh, podcast, to be like I'm gonna give like everyone who's listening to this right now they've seen a horror Raimi horror film uh, because it's so you know, ubiquitous. And also I, I want to talk about a little bit more of what's going on behind that. Like I want to talk about the sequences and the shot selections and the tactics he's using. And why do we remember Raimi? 
So let's take a look at the basement parking lot scene. If you remember this, this is the initial attack of Ganoush on Christine when she steals her button and starts the curse off. Uh, for how simple it is, it's like really effective. And it's like this movie, why I choose this movie is that there's a lot of rough edges around Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. And then he went and had a Spider-Man. And then he came back to this and he really shows the polish. Mm-hmm. of the Spider-Mans. And I think that's why almost every sequence in this scene is super memorable for one reason or another, uh, usually because it's outrageous, because that's what Raimi does with horror. Um, but when you watch this sequence next, the basement parking lot scene, uh, next time you're popping in, drag me, and uh, you know, crushing some popcorn, uh, <laughs> think about a few things you'll notice. Uh, you'll notice that there's not like it's not that flashy. It's not, it's brutal. There's like the stabbing into the uh, mouth with the ruler. So it's like kind of funny and memorable, but it's not flashy in a lot of ways that I'll separate a little bit later. I just want to examine this one sequence to show like at its base level, what makes a Raimi sequence. And it's not really in camera editing though. Both like, that's not, what I mean by flash like it's not like flashy camera it's not crazy shots or like oh that editing is so like interesting it doesn't announce itself the filmmaker is not announcing it's himself it's transparent but camera and editing are so important in order to make these things possible so when I say simple I mean most of Raimi's suspense is designed like most horror sequences in that there's a lengthier section section of suspense building up front And then when the quote-unquote scare happens, it then alters the uh, editorial and camera choices of the movie. And in this case, it's done very simply by just speeding up the cuts. So that's one thing. Another thing I wanted to look at is so when we look at the handkerchief riding the wind and coming at Christine's car, uh, a.k.a. the lengthier section of suspense building up front, um, it's always an insert it's mm-hmm, a cut to mm-hmm. a, it's an insert of something happening cut to a medium close up or close up of Christine watching it follows a simple rule and we do a full 180 around slowly around the car of her watching tilting her head looking at the handkerchief as it blows in the wind and then allows the hanger uh, which allows the handkerchief to kind of go entirely behind the car which by at that point does a very rainy thing that he does all the time, which is now that handkerchief insert has now turned into a pan and now it's a reveal shot. Ganoush is in the back seat. This is Raimi's understanding of suspense. It's a shot yeah. of a person uh, to take it out of, you know, just in, in the, the realm of like, I don't know, hypothetical. It's a shot of a person looking outside of a window with a pensive expression on their face, cutting to something spooky outside. And then the beastie gets slowly closer, but we use just those two shots, ping pong, ping pong, for how, however long it's needed and, until we reveal a scare. And then we have a different editorial and camera choice. He does, does this make sense all up front? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I mean, like, one thing I thought was interesting about the scares in this movie that is kind of consistent with him is, like, they don't relieve tension that much. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, most, most horror movies, when you get a scare, then, it, like, the, the tension There's the false- drops. Yeah, yeah until the, you, until the you're in the third drops, act, yeah. right? Until you're in the third act, with Raimi, his scares are a lot more sort of the expression of nope. dread. Yeah, like there's dread that's yeah, it's growing. Just, 
and oh, fuck, something's coming, and it does. The, it always comes. It, it does, and then you, but you don't feel like you you don't feel like it's done. You just feel like it's going to happen to you sort of at a few times, and also you don't know when it's going to happen in in a good way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then the scare happens, right? And here's the cool thing about Raimi. I think the more I look into filmmakers and how they're like, this is an important moment. This is a po- a moment that like Hitchcock's in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Any horror director, anyone who's trying to give you fear is going to have to play the suspense versus surprise game. And what's interesting about Raimi is he has a, he has a sneaky, simple solution to this, which is kind of what I said before, which all that really happens, there is one element of complexity that occurs, but it really is just speeding up the cuts because when Ganoush attacks from the back seat all it does is now instead of an insert and a close-up on christine and now it does the same ping pong game between ganoush and christine's face as and their torsos as they grapple it's doing the same thing as the suspense it's just now faster hmm. uh now there is one element of c- complexity that you know he's really good at which is often camera will simply pan or tilt in order to follow the action like um for example uh, when Christine is uh, trying to get out of the situation, her hand may go for the, the stick shift to switch gears to go into reverse and then go forward. A foot, an insert of a foot hitting a gas pedal, uh, a hand grabbing a ruler. These inserts that kind of propel us forward to like, okay, so now that's this part of the choreography, the next part of the dance. He does break the format of shot, shot, suspense building okay a little quicker now okay now things are happening like these are all basic sequence stuff but ultimately he's doing the same thing um another thing is if Raimi wants to maintain the speed of the sequence there's um sometimes he doesn't use pans and tilts like to the ruler or to you know the stick shift sometimes he simply cuts because i think that that's just something you do when you want the speed to maintain so often Raimi will cover the same action but in order to speed it up he covers the same action slightly slightly different angles in other words he'll get a shot of um like, for example, when Ganoush gums Christine's chin my with her God, whole mouth. My God. It starts off in profile, and then it goes to three quarters, and then it goes to a back three quarters. So he's kind of, even though she's just gnawing on her chin, uh, to ramp the, like, oh, my God, to that beat of the sequence, he will manufacture the speed in editing by having more coverage. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I, I think also, like, this is a good moment to just briefly add I don't know of anybody that's better at gross-out uh, horror than Raimi. Yeah, he uh, he plays a line, because it's not about gore for, like, oh, that's cool. Sometimes it is. Because he, he does a straight-up quote to Deadites in this movie, when, like, during the seance, uh, the, the random dude is all of a sudden dancing and like has the dead yeah, that was, that was fascinating yeah it's yeah. it's all because he like and it's the same thing with the ruler like it's supposed to be looney tunes right you know? that's that i think he's very glee like his horror movies are very gleeful yeah uh like 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 they're fun you know what i mean like and he's making like that's so totally. rare in horror movies they're usually like sort of brittle and yeah. like they're played for this sort of like this sort of sorrow sort of drained feeling you know a lot of them yeah. And his and, are his are very vibrant. Uh, like like I I think at some point you're going to talk about Edgar Wright, right? You oh talk yeah. Briefly about, okay, yeah. I don't want to get it. Then I don't want to get too ahead. The only no. just last thing I want to add is 
Yeah, yeah. Raimi's not a gore guy, but he is a gross-out guy. He definitely like, is in this movie, and I think uh, Evil Dead to a, a big extent. Yeah, like I, he, I and I, I was thinking. I mean, I'm not a horror aficionado. He likes blood again. He likes blood splashing in their mouths and stuff. Yeah, in the mouth. Ugh. Like he's yeah. He loves mouth stuff. <laughs> yeah, Raimi loves he, he, mouth yeah, he's got an stuff. Oral thing for You're sure. Here first. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but but grossing like gross out like vomiting all over somebody or like mm-hmm. bugs in your mouth like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that is a legitimate source of like dread. And tension, and nobody's better at it than him. Yes. That I can think of, like offhand. I'm sure somebody's going to be like, um, actually, and then send me a, yeah. a long email. Fine. But offhand, <laughs> Raimi's, Raimi's pretty good. Yeah, and I think, um, I'm glad you pointed that out because it's, um, like, what I'm, if you haven't caught it yet, I'm kind of building this, like, okay, there's simplicity in the design. Yeah. It's because his transparency of design work, and when I say the word transparency, usually in when I'm talking about filmmaking, I mean it to say the filmmakers trying not to make you notice that you're watching a film. You know, for example, uh, in I don't know Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs when they're all walking at camera and it's like, oh fuck, look how cool this shit right, is. Right, and, right. You know, you notice your scene, you notice the medium in that moment. You look at it and you go, this is cool. This is Tarantino. Right. Transparency would be the opposite of that. Well, it's funny because, like, we, this is going to forever be a companion of Drive. Uh, like, we did a direct Which you're going to cover dri- next. Yeah. Yeah. We did one about Drive. And it's, that's literally the opposite of transparency, according to your yeah, definition. Yeah. Exactly. That's why yeah. it's funny that these two will go up next yeah. to each other in yeah, terms yeah. of time. Uh, but, all I mean to say is because he's such a horror director, like all of the things that you're saying about like he's grossing you out, you know, it's the, it's, it's the ruler. It's the, the entire arm in the mouth. It's, you know, oh like God. ruler in the mouth. It's, it's vomiting like fluid into her mouth. It's always mouth stuff. It's all, dude, but, that, that gumming <laughs> thing, like, in yeah. Gunnish, like that was fucked. That's yeah, it's really straight fucked. Straight up fucked. Straight up fucked. Yeah. Uh, but it's because he's like the, the the offer is so big and so loud that Raimi in that moment is not going to be like relish in it. He's going to just treat it like normal. And that's kind of the power of Raimi that he in transparency that he's not always transparent. There are, I'm going to go into in just a second, what makes like a Raimi shot. Yeah. But, uh, he, his approach ad hoc is almost always this kind of simple dynamic kind of editorial strategy that I was talking about. And I think that there's something there about the simplicity of that offer, the transparency of that offer, and then putting in that kind of scaffolding, uh, outrageous, you know, beats of story. Like he definitely, he he definitely doesn't make sexy shots. Like you really don't think about his shots much with the exception of the one I know you're going to talk about. And also, mm-hmm. you mentioned that 180 shot. I think that one also, like, where you kind of pan around. Mm-hmm. That was the only shot until the one you're going to talk about that felt, like, flashy. The mm-hmm. most, For the most part, he, like, he, he's, like, a stylish but, but, but simple uh, storyteller, right? Like, I, like yeah. I mean, he's not transparent like Jim Jarmusch, where it's, like, mm-hmm. just set the camera on a tripod and let the scene happen. Yeah. You know, like, like like Jarmusch is like that, and that to me is no, or 
nor is he uh, Tarantino, who's like, yeah, what's the coolest way I can do this right. scene? I gotta get the I gotta get the right film stuck so it feels like that '70s commercial I used to watch. It's hateful right. eight. How long can I stay in the shot before people are gonna be like, cut, uh, cut, yeah. please? <laughs> yeah, I I also didn't care for uh, his Hollywood movie that much for that reason either. But yeah. but. Uh, uh, yeah, so he's not—he's definitely not drawing attention to a shot. Like even Spielberg, I think, who does a pretty good job of getting out of the way, still has very memorable shots, like pretty frequently in his movie. I think there's a reason for this too. I—I don't, I, I don't want to put the cart before the okay, horse because sorry, yeah. this is kind of what I'm. You don't remember Raimi shots. You remember Raimi techniques. Yeah, that's right. I agree with that. And I mean, look no further than the Raimi board. The Raimi board, which famous. I don't know. I think most people know. Everyone in film school knows about the Raimi board, but uh, for people who may or may not know about it, uh, just a, a quick. Here's what a Raimi board is. So imagine you're, you know, like a, a, Mich- a Michigan, uh, you know, film student, uh, and you have no money, and you have a camera, and they gave you a camera, and you're shooting out. It's called Evil Dead, and you're out shooting at a cabin, and you. It's really hard in the forest to like put down dolly track because you'd need a lot of people, and you don't really have a lot of people. You have like five, six people. So what do you do? Well, here's a good way to make a stabilized kind of system. Is here was here's what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna grab a piece of cardboard or a piece of ply. Usually, I think it was like plywood. And I'm just going to put the camera on it. I'm not even going to seat it on a tripod or like rig it. Or maybe they put like a ratchet strap around it so it wouldn't fall over because it's an expensive thing. But whatever. And then we're going to take two people and they're just going to run. And so anytime in Evil the Dead especially, you're going to notice that like when they, it feels like the, the sped up sped up shots of like the demon running at the tree or the demon running at the cabin. Uh, they feel sped up because that is two people holding a uh, plywood board with camera strapped on it kind of moving pretty slowly so they're not like jarring the camera jittery. yeah and then they just speed it up to the speed that they want in post this is a Raimi board it's like the simplest it's like a steady cam that has like one function which is to straight f- just shoot forward <laughs> and yeah. uh and they they didn't have money so they just used a piece of wood like i feel and like it's kind of brilliant <laughs> i feel like sam raimi is sort of in some ways like a slightly less flashy robert rodriguez like they're sort of like kindred spirits in a way because yeah because robert rodriguez filmmakers has, out of necessity yeah yeah robert rodriguez has also done sort of a lot of these like clever sort of diy film techniques for years and years even when he had money and i and like Raimi's still doing that but like uh robert rodriguez has done it for to make a stylish feeling for his films mm. and and Raimi is a little bit more like no 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 uh I, i'm gonna make style just by you know by the choices i make to tell the story but otherwise i'm gonna get out of the way and like let's have a good time and like robert yeah. rodriguez doesn't want to sure. just have a good time he <laughs> wants to like you know have some flourish Right. I, th- I think we can agree with that. I think, yeah, whether it's built out of necessity, definitely by now in dragging me to hell, it, he's now quoting himself. I think he's right. He, he likes it. He likes it. You know, he I could think make if any he was a movie. film student and they were like, would you want a Steadicam or a Raimi board? The thing you invented to re- to to work as a Steadicam Do you, as a film student, he would probably been. Uh, I would like the Steadicam, please. Right. Of <laughs> but course. He didn't. And surprisingly that added a lot to the like his 
veneer as a director. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, Raimi. I know that shot. It looks like a Raimi thing. Uh, and that's kind of what I was talking about. And when we're talking about the flash uh, of the of a director, uh, I want to look at another drag me sequence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is the shed scene, which I think shares tactics with the original shed scene in Evil Dead. That's fun. Or the Evil Dead shed scenes, if you recall. Yeah, yeah. Um, or just Evil Dead in general because of the Raimi board stuff. But one tactic in particular is when Ganoush uh, has her entire arm down Christian's mouth. And this is a dream. Uh, it's a haunt, but it's like she thinks it's real. Her entire arm is in Christine's open mouth. <laughs> and she's pinned against a pillar. And then it's a close-up shot of her looking around the room for a way out. So it intercuts with her eyes darting around to a compound shot, but it usually it, it only breaks it up like once or twice. And the shot goes the following. It whip pans to a tied off rope, like the standing end of a s- secured to a pillar in the room. Right? Like mm-hmm, standing mm-hmm. end. Yep. You, like that's like a nautical yep. thing. Yeah. Uh, and then it follows up the line rope to a pulley. That shows that the rope probably has a counterweight, and then it, it booms down to an anvil. Once again, Looney Tunes. Right. It, this was this was the funniest thing in the film. I thought like that it's was a, that was a really funny shot. Yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah, it it's is straight fucking up Wiley e. Coyote, man. It's essentially revealing the length and breadth of a Rube Goldberg machine that she will use to get out of the attack. But it's the style, the speed, and the character of the camera, if that could be a... I've always... I wish that we had a term for that. Like, the, the, the color of the character, or the color of the camera, or the character of the camera. It makes it feel so emphatically Raimi. And that's what I mean when I say, Raimi, you remember tactics. Do you remember in the sequence in Evil Dead when Ash goes crazy? I think it's Evil Dead 2. And he looks around the living room and sees a series of objects, a lamp, a mounted head of a deer, and they come to life and they laugh at him. Do you remember how the camera doesn't just pan around? It like uproots itself. It moves and kind of rigidly positions itself. So it's got these central framed objects very close to the insert of the the subject. And sometimes he touches the frame, but really not that often. Um, you know that you know that sequence I'm talking about. Yes, it's been it's a very long like, time, but yes, I remember it. It's kind of cool because it's actually he actually in that film, if I recall, he's he puts the sounds that we put like the foley that people use for when necks break. You know, like he oh, does yeah, yeah. that with he does that with the um the mounted head of the deer. He also kind of puts a subtle one in the shots themselves, as if the camera itself is breaking its neck in order to capture the shot. Yeah, it's almost like he definitely he does gives, stuff like that. He gives the camera a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Right, which is what you were saying just before. Like like that shot that you just described of like looking up to the anvil. Uh right. Definitely, I mean it's a point of view shot, but also it's like it's the equivalent of like a dancing skeleton for a shot. You know what I mean? It's very mm-hmm. like hee mm-hmm. like it's it's very it has. It feels like a different person than the point of view, who it's from, and right? Another reason for that, I think, is because the way that they shoot those shots too, much like the Raimi board, they shoot it slowly and then they speed it up two to three times in post. He does it even though he has. It was d- done out of necessity, as I said in Raimi's early career, but now he shoots for that. He's got a ton of technology and money behind him after the Spider-Man's, and he's still doing that look. 
it's a choice. I think it recalls his early work and it feels he's like, Oh, it, like that's me. That's how I'm off putting. I'm going to requote that. Right. Because you could do the same. Like if you had a Chapman or a technocrane, right. yeah, right. you could do that shot and make it way smoother and do it real time. Right. You could do it with the speed that he intended because they could be like, all right, boom up to that. All right. Quickly drop down to that. He could do these things with the right tools. That's what the technology's for. He's choosing not to. He's saying, no, I'm just going to do it with a tripod and maybe a jib arm, but uh, I'm going to shoot it slow and speed it up in post. Why? Because that looks, you notice, even though if you don't notice it, it has a different, like, the frame feels different. The, the, the frame rate isn't different, but it's, it's just like... It's it's a I forget what they call it, but it's just the the, the combination of the fast speed um, I, I, and yeah the the, sh- the speeding up of the frames, the ramping. I, I think it's I think it's yeah. also like an endearing thing. Like I like I for instance I think it's it great makes it that a little you're, cute. Yeah, I think it's great that you're noting that uh, that Raimi could be making much more sophisticated camera moves if he wanted to. But like it wasn't so it wasn't just that he didn't have money that made him decide what he was doing back way back when in Evil Dead. It was also who he is. Like Evil yeah. Dead is still him. Like that's still what he wanted to do. And now that he has money, he's not quoting himself because of the brand. He's quoting himself because it's what he loves. Like and I think like we see that in movies a lot, right? Like like uh, Tarantino is probably the best example of this. Like, how many times have you seen one of those ridiculous zooms in his movie where the zoom is not that good? Mm-hmm. You know, and like it's intentionally not that good because mm-hmm. that's what he—that's the cinema he grew up watching was like less professional-looking stuff, and yeah. so he goes out of his way to get that sort of whoosh zoom where the camera kind of repositions slightly uh, yep. because that feels like his old movies, and we laugh at it and feel like, ah, yeah, what a movie, because like. We know he's doing it on purpose, and I think Raimi's the same way. Like we know he's doing it on purpose, you know. Yeah. Like he does. So that's like the one way he does wink at us, right? Right. Like, I remember. Um, no, you're absolutely right because, like, I think that's that's what it is to be a filmmaker and grow up with a scent, like to grow up with taste, a certain taste. I remember when I was shooting uh, Agents of Cracked for yeah, and. Um, like I there what was king at the time was um office documentary, right? The offices yes. and such. Yeah, your 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 standard uh mockumentaries, right? Mockumentary style, yeah. Uh and so I found myself examining turning off the sound uh to like an episode I'd already seen. And just watching how the camera moved. Mm-hmm. Like when it, when it would zoom, when it would tilt, when it would adjust, like moments that the editor had decided to include in the final cut of the thing because of some element of charm of quote unquote documentaryism, you know, like, ah, that's so documentary. Um, and I learned to mimic those forms and there's a performative aspect of camera. So when I say ca- character of camera, sometimes I mean that. Uh, sometimes you see and witness a certain thing like you're talking about with the bumps and the zooms. Um, and you go, that's, there's some beauty to that. 
And I think that's what Sam Raimi's doing here. You're, yeah. I think you're absolutely well, right. Well, I, I mean, I'm so glad you were willing to talk about your piece because, like, it, I mean, for those of you who need to know this, and that's all of you, uh, Abe is one of the best uh, comedy Zoom guys uh, I've ever seen. Like, he's uh, not, I'm serious. I've, I say this in classrooms, it's not a joke. Uh, like, Abe is naturally gifted at that. And it's interesting to think that you did it because you wanted to seem current. Because on on another whole level, it's like, yeah, it was current. But then, like, you go back and watch all of your work, and it was never... You never got the office feeling. Never, never, never. Like, did you use their techniques? (laughs) Sure. But you were always much more aggressive and creative with that Zoom than a sitcom has been. Because that's that's (laughs) what you like. Yeah, I mean, mean? I just... Because you can't just... You can't just do a thing. You have to redo it. You have to make and reimagine it. If you're you're quoting a genre, don't just make another version. Make a new version. Right. I don't know. Like I would say, like for instance, Arrested Development also is shot with that sort of single yeah, cam style. Yeah, it was mainly style. Arrested Development. But like yeah. Arrested Development is not aggressive in its camera stylings. Um, no, it not, isn't. Not really. It's, it's it, like it sometimes it does add things from time to time. But like for the most part, the camera is just sort of reinforcing the writing, and yeah. you, you, it's like, energy, man. It's it's so funny to me because as soon as you said Arrested Development, it made me laugh because uh, Arrested Development does that kind of stuff too, where it thinks about like the formula. The for no one thinks about the formation of like a zoom joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no zooming joke, but. Like there's shit that does it where it's like, okay, this camera is like really, the energy is spastic and like zooming in and like, where am I looking and stuff like that. And you get that and then it slows down. Like it's found a calm <laughs> and then it slowly like introduces a little zoom. Like, can I zoom again? Yes. You it's know? so like, good. It's that like, that is yeah. reliant on time building the character of a camera which no one would ever in their right mind look for and go like oh that's what they're doing but i did that kind of shit because i had nothing else to do i guess i don't know i think it's again it's it's you're a filmmaker you know what i mean like 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 i've all you and i have always had this argument throughout the history of time i'm sure where like you you value transparency meaning like don't let the filmmaking get in the way of the story which is a thing i think every filmmaker should Right. should admire yeah. but i've always really been more passionate about about sure but also like use the tool to enhance the yeah. story you know what i mean even if like even if that means flashy sometimes it does mean flashy sometimes it does yeah, yeah and like right. and the irony of it is i would say like in some ways your comedy stuff that's bent that's meant to be uh, imitating of those mockumentaries is actually more flashy because of your sense of timing than a lot of the intentionally flashy dolly shit that I was doing at the time. Uh, because I because it takes a lot of actual talent to do it. And I say I'm not trying to like you know make you feel good. I'm I, this is the truth. Like I actually tried to do those zooms. Abe can testify. Like I there was a lot of shoots we did at Cracked where I was trying to actually do those comedy zooms, and it is. Uh, you can get better at it, but it's a natural talent. That's a thing I know for sure because I've done it. It's a natural well, talent. <clears throat> that's kind of what I love about Ramey is that you can identify his pure ability of like a good insert and yes, how like, and it's funny. do we whip into insert yeah. or do we just cut to an insert? His his 
natural quote natural talent is definitely in those inserts he loves he's playing games all the time he's so good and i couldn't at them. list them all because like i mean if we had a, if we could roll tape on this podcast and go like look here there's one example here's another example but it's kind of it would be monotonous to kind of go through right now but just like i feel that he does that all the time his, um, his inserts are i think in some ways the place you get the most sense of who he is Mm-hmm. As a filmmaker, mm-hmm. like I, like I actually, you know, you just mentioned a while back, this like tracking shot, you know, that we that we have, like in a mm-hmm. way, it's what he really does is give us four inserts, you know what I mean? Like yes. there's really four inserts there. It's a compound there. shot, yeah. And they're all kind of funny. <laughs> like they all. Have, oh yeah, like, they're weird. They're yeah. this comedy <laughs> they value. Are funny. It's like what's that? Yeah. What's that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Know? It's. It's like a very uh, Hunter S. Thompson kind of motivated camera. Angle. Yes, it's like the, it's like the camera's sort of like a grumpy inquisitor. Like, I totally oh, agree. Yeah, oh. exactly. Exactly. Sub- constantly in a state of surprise and hatred of the thing that he's looking at. Yeah. Alarm at it. Yes, it's alarm. The fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's, I'm glad you responded to that, uh, you know, because I think that that's one of the, the, the bread and butter of um, Raimi. Uh, there's a third sequence I want to point out. Sure. Uh, in Drag Me, which is the grave sequence um, where uh, Christine tries to re-gift uh, Ganoush the button so it's namely when the rain starts soaking the earth so christine finds herself stuck in the grave and a large iron cross knocks her out and we have a kind of lingering slow dolly out and we kind of have time to wonder if christine was gonna like is she drowning or is what's gonna happen or if she's gonna resurface which you know of course she does uh but it kind of takes us time and we kind of just in that time, you have those that moment to kind of just meditate on the raindrops kind of thing. You know, that's how much time he gives you. Mm-hmm. So it's like next to the quick cutting, especially because rel- relative is everything in, in film. So the quick cutting of rain, it's probably not even as long as I'm making it. But the re- quick cutting of the sequence that comes before this shot makes it feel like it's an eternity. Uh, and it's a tactic he uses all the time. And uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, some influences and references uh, a little bit. But for here, uh, I think this is a reference. If it's not a reference of a particular shot, it's a reference of an energy. And I'm going to go back to the source. As far as I'm aware, and I think this is out of, you know, the mouth of Spielberg. Uh, David Lean is the first person who actually did this in Lawrence of Arabia. I've talked about this a lot. Talk about when I talk about the mummy, talk about when I talk about Spielberg, there's a motorcycle, there's a shot of a motorcycle goggles dangling from a tree at the very end of Lawrence of Arabia, just swingly, uh, swinging like gently in the wind. And we just know feet away the cliff ends and there's been a horrible crash and you know, he's dead. In Jaws, which is literally where Spielberg says he was quoting David Lean, we see at the beginning of the opening sequence where Jaws, I call Jaws like he's the name of the shark. We see the shark uh, have killed, uh, you know, a woman um, who's just taken a dip. And we see a buoy like Bob to and fro drifting slightly, Mm -hmm. implying what we saw just seconds before in complete world of violence beneath the waves. Uh, these shots demand that we focus on kind of a natural indifferent silence to that brutality. Yeah. You know, it's this kind of nice little the meditative. And so moment. 
And I think that's a reference for him. I think that's a reference for a lot of filmmakers. I think um, in Evil Dead 2, if you remember when he, when he literally he cuts his hand off, or is it when he cuts the face of his girlfriend in the vice? I can't remember. I think it's, it's in the shed, and the blood splatters against a uh, um, uh, light bulb as it's bobbing to and fro, much like uh, the buoy in Jaws. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Those shots. Yeah, it's that's, it's, it's a meditative yeah. shot. It's a shot where mm-hmm. it's like, well, the violence happened, and then now consider what it means very briefly. Yeah. You know? uh, another re- reference in this movie is got to be Nosferatu. Uh, in this case, the CG shadows that Raimi uses to reach out and grab you. Because um, Nosferatu does a lot of shadow work. And I think that that was actually quite effective in this film. I thought the CG shadows were kind of cool because he does them more than once. He does them uh, as a shadow, like you see the um, the goat Lamia uh, figure outside the windows. At one point, comes up to the door and out of the shadow of the hooves come two hands that reach out and grab for Christine. I think that's kind of cool. And uh, I think that that's an update of that kind of trope as well. So he's pulling from tropes. Maybe it's not a reference to a particular shot, but it's protect. Once again, Raimi's not about shots. Raimi's about tactics and Raimi's style will always be a part of the horror genre. Um, I think that to switch gears to kind of more influences or uh, not influences, but, uh, people, other people's influences by him. Shaun of the Dead, Cabin in the Woods, Tucker versus Dale. These are all things that would not exist if Evil Dead wasn't made, right? Yeah. Um, actually, uh, go ahead. There's a note on Edgar Wright, too. He was actually approached by Raimi uh, to direct this film. But Edgar Wright had a great quote, which is, if I did it, it would just feel like karaoke. And I think that that is super good thing to say it is uh, i think they're both right i think Raimi was also right to approach him for that like i I think so like i think they both could have made this film and they both they both would have been good films but i do think edgar wright would have been trying to be Raimi. yeah i I agree and and when i think of Raimi's influence on the medium specifically the genre i guess i should say it's not just blending horror and comedy. It's also his approach to updating the available tropes of just the straight horrors of the day of the days when he were he was growing up watching these like slasher films and such. Because it uses like wide angles during moments of attack, um, like way too close to the subject is another thing to make it off-putting and kind of distort. Um, he uses things like the Raimi board footage and speeding up to kind of add his own taste or um, style to it. But like all these things, the the violence of things going in the mouth, all the flash that we talk about that's like so signature Raimi. Um, like any good genre filmmaker, I think while it's unique in its framing, sound design or effects or whatever... Um, Ultimately, he's using in his toolbox to get get us there. It's a trope. Its existence is contingent on the past versions of horror. So I think that there's something to be said about Raimi being able to both make you feel like, oh, this is like a horror film, but also take in the world that that horror horror film exists, kind of push new ground. And I think that frontiersman spirit, which gives us things like the Raimi board and gives us things like, you know, speeding up footage for no reason other than to look, you know, kind of overtly mechanical um i think i I think that's his addition to the genre i mean i think also that like 
Raimi understood movie audiences a little better than traditional horror film uh, makers did. Like, I, like I think, I think that Raimi sent Ra- his sensibility is to horror what Spielberg's is to like action adventure stuff, where it's like. Mm-hmm. It's like Spielberg's action action adventure sensibility is basically this is how America felt about movies for twenty years, right? Like he was just like he just made movies that were America loves this, right? And I think Raimi's yeah. sensibility about horror and specifically horror comedy is like this is what people who like horror movies feel about movies. You know, like uh, I don't even think mm. that he made the most quintessential horror movies at all, but I just think he's spot on about how do people want to consume their horror movies? You know, like how, how many yeah, fucking parody horror eyes movies? Eyes on the prize. Yeah. Uh, you know, how many horror parody, like, like if you go on Netflix right now, half the horror movies are going to be some dumb, sexy parody send up of a horror movie. Right. Like, yeah. like, and all, all of that is <laughs> Ramy. Right. Not exclusively, yeah. but he's yeah. really popular. But he opened up the floodgates to be like horror, but, also but fun and playful and like you know sure there'll be gross outs and scares but also you know a boob or two and uh and you know maybe just a couple of yucks you know who knows yeah and then as things developed he was like okay uh let's focus on you know i think drag me that's why drag me to hell even if i enjoy like the quick and the dead or something like that more as a viewing um i think it really is this most polished film uh it's some it's very restrained for him in some ways yeah i think he he hit a good balance in my opinion yeah i agree i i think it's uh anyway i I don't want to detract because i know you want to talk about some more things but uh i I, well i just wanted to conclude sure go for it uh and i thought it would be a fun way to do this uh kind of soundbite to really quickly go through what I basically just said, but itemize it real quickly and put it in the framing device of, so you want to make a Raimi. <laughs> so if you're a filmmaker who wants to like, I'm going to do a Raimi parody, uh, here is like, I don't know, seven things to do. <laughs> put on an 18 to 25 millimeter lens uh, for inserts and in some of your close-ups. Shoot close-up action and emphasize claustrophobic framing when the two parties are facing off uh they should occupy each other's frame and the frame has little else in it uh the main difference between suspense and surprise is editing so before the reveal cut between the two subjects and nothing else after you after the surprise and the reveal or whatnot do the same thing but faster you'll need to start to plant and pay off second for seconds later in order to develop this sequence so use pan and tilts quickly to reveal what your protagonist is thinking often you'll need to block movement inside the scene traditional methods are fine but it's good to include a high and wide angle usually in the ceiling to show off the space at least once especially if that space is claustrophobic reveals are done basically one way the tilt pan use both static tripod shots that quickly pan or dutch to reveal new geography or a new you know character or someone behind the monster or whatever but make sure that your monster and demon inhabits uh, and comes along with like a 
inhabits that space and it comes along with a typical horror string or abrupt musical cue. And uh, if you want to show your protagonist is thinking, do the following move in one shot, move the camera, crane or dolly, or use a Raimi cam if you have a small budget, uh, and show the series of inserts that way, and then cut it up later in post. Also, shoot it slow, speed it up in Unbelievable. post. Unbelievable. And then last, obligatory insert of some unrelated object, usually with some minimal motion or the, quote, feeling of stillness to counter the violence and you just made a horror sequence all over Amy. That's it for me. <laughs> That's great. So good. Uh, can I? So I don't. I don't want to pull every single thread of what you said apart, but I do want to say one thing, just one tiny little thing. Sam uh, Sam Raimi also made a simple plan. I know a simple plan is an exquisite film uh, that is incredibly restrained. And it's, mm. that's actually my favorite of all the things he's made. That, yeah, I think it's a good film. Um, I think it's fucking I think great. It's, I think it's, yeah, it's also... Like not a Raimi film? It's not. I mean, it, I hate this because next episode you're going to hear me literally say like one of my favorite things about David Lynch is uh, when he does shit like Elephant Man. But uh, it's not Raimi. Um, it's because I understand Raimi. I feel, and I like what he, I, I know what he's good for. I know what he's good at and I want to see it. Uh, so it's kind of like play your hits and we're all kind of darting around the reality, which is that movie's a Coen brothers movie. He's basically like, what if I, I Fargo was really good. Could I make Fargo? It's still fucking good. <laughs> uh, like it's still fucking good. So I'll give you that. It, yeah. And I, I actually that. forgot that it was a Sam Raimi movie. And for some reason, while we were, while you were talking, I looked it up. Cause I was like, wait a minute. Was, did he direct that movie? And then I he did. Oh hell yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good. I agree it that it is the alt. It is the alt uh, Sam Raimi movie. But I think I'm gonna argue it does matter in his canon because it's sort of a proof text for the fact that like he actually does have a lot of complexity to him as a filmmaker. Like this gleeful stuff is what he wants to do, but he can do other stuff that's a little bit more sort of adult. You know, and muted. See, I don't think I don't think all of what I said. The takeaway is that he's simplistic. No, I I, I, think I he mean is emotionally complicated. I mean emotionally. I think complicated. he. Okay. Not okay. not not. Uh, no no. I I think simple plan is shot less complicated than this movie is. Yeah yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I a simple plan is is also a parable, incidentally, but like mm -hmm. it, it's it's a more emotionally complicated and in some ways more tense experience than the, than most Raimi <laughs> stuff is. Um, but it, again, yeah. it's the anti Ramy, right? Like it's, it's that movie that, that sort of establishes the other edge of the spectrum that he can do. Um, right. And I, and I, I mean, like, I think a lot of the great filmmakers have that movie. Like again, Lynch has a straight story, um, which is, a, mm -hmm. is just a regular narrative and it's, mm -hmm. it's very good. It's a very good narrative film. Uh, yeah. Spielberg has several movies that are sort of counterbalances like ballast and sort of epic melodrama. Uh, mm -hmm. the one that pops to mind right off the bat is Schindler's List, but there's others, right, that are sort of less bombastic and sort of, uh, you know, epic action movie-ish, you know? Um, yeah, and, yeah, lot, yeah. and there's a lot, this is a thing for, like, big filmmakers to, like, have this other movie that they you gotta, do. You gotta s spread your wings, you know? I'm not, yeah. yeah. Simple Plan is a movie I, think that's what I this wish is. I could put my name on. I love that movie. I think it's very good. No, it fucking it's it, it rips. It's just uh, it's not, and it's 
For educational purposes, it's not what Raimi is known for. It's not what makes Raimi unique. Right. It just makes him a good director. Right. Uh, which I think can be said, and I stand by that. Yeah. I think he's a good director. I, I mean, I don't think I... I'm not putting a sensitive drama in his hands for the most part. You know what I mean? Like, I'm... I'm <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I'm not doing that. That's not who he... I except put, for that one time. <laughs> except for that one time, right. I, 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 I'm not putting one in Tarantino's hands either. Uh, you know? <clears throat> right. I, but... And that's fine. God, could you imagine Tarantino doing a fucking actual genre movie? <laughs> like a straight story he couldn't do it well see, I, he couldn't do I it i don't know what he'd yeah. have to do other stuff imagine if he made <laughs> i mean just like imagine he made tv like just a it just popped in for a quick star trek he could do a star <laughs> trek i think uh oh he's gonna because he would restrain himself you know that right he would do one star trek i just don't think he could do like like i'm just not interested in seeing him do i don't know anything spike jones has done uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, like, I, just most movies. You know, hold on. I just want to. I, I just want to double check. You know this because it's possible you don't. Tarantino is doing a Star Trek. You know that, right? An episode of Star Trek or a Star Trek movie? He's doing. He's doing a Star Trek movie. Well, I'm not instantly opposed to that. It's based on an episode of the classic Star Trek OG series uh-huh. that takes place largely Earthbound in a 1930s gangster setting. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's, it's, that, he's gonna do that's a, a weird movie, Star Trek. But like, so, but he has done some one-off movies from time to time. Like he does, he does kind of veer off and do these weird little what? like cult classic, like like that double feature movie that he did, right? Well, uh, Grindhouse. All of, all of what he does is cult classic. What are you talking about? He's entirely cult based. No, Tarantino. At this that point, Tarantino's a, is a pop culture icon. Every movie he yeah, does that, is a but major that, deal. What is he popular for? He's being a, the cult guy. Yes, but I, it's like, how long can you call it cult when he's never made a movie that was only a cult movie? Uh, yeah, that's it's a good point because those terms are just kind of evaluated on They're based popularity. on 80 genres that don't but exist like, anymore. When I, I guess what I mean when I say cult then, which is the improper word, but what I mean to say is like he's going for the, the his films have that mystique. It ha- they have the Tarantino. Uh, they're all emphatically Tarantino. Yeah, they're all his vibe. He's never yeah. not in. All I wish to say is that he's never not emphatically Tarantino. Yeah, uh, we haven't seen a mute. We have not seen his simple plan. I, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know what his simple plan would be. Hey, maybe this Star Trek thing is good though. I know he respects that material. You know, like and and Tarantino's I, not a shitty director. Respects it. No, he's not. I just don't know if he respects any material other than his own. <laughs> oh, dude, he's pretty quote. He's pretty like quote yeah, I should take that back. He loves films and all that. He he. In fact, sometimes it's to the extent of he's worshiping at the altar. Yes, of, you know. Yes, I, uh, you know. We'll see. Plug in French New Wave director, or you know, Les Samurai, or something like that, or The Searchers and John Ford. He's he's definitely got all those tropes available, uh, and he's playing with them. He's doing interesting stuff. I just mean to say that like. He's got to put his spin on it. He's got to put that uh, that Tarantino stamp. Yeah, right. He's going to load it up. That's going to be a loaded pitch for sure. <laughs> load sure. it up with Tarantino. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I'm sure we'll see a couple of ridiculous zooms and some hilariously posed Star Trek team shots and stuff. I'm sure. Right. I think it's more in the writing, to be frank, but that's what. Fine. Do you, what do you think? Like, I think the 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 Tarantino stank is more in the writing. 
Um, oh, I think he has a few tropes as a director that like we always forget, but he definitely fucking does them. Uh, like feet. Uh, well, duh, that's the big one, right? But there's also, but like, yeah. there's also like needlessly long takes and sort of like uh, true. The, like he does a lot of like posed shots that are almost Wes Anderson, but they're nowhere near as like clever. Often quotes, often quotes those. That's true. Those he does quote pose. stuff. He poses for qu- qu- like, and guess what? You didn't know that's high noon, you know? Um, <clears throat> but that's not a, I mean, that's, I don't have a problem with that, you know? Yeah. As they say, good writing is good stealing I'm or just, whatever the fuck. I'm just is. bummed that he's, he's never made anything since Pulp Fiction that, that like truly felt like this is just a story I wanted to tell. You know, like he just hasn't done that. Like, like it, it feels like every project he's done since then has been about the surrounding circumstances to the movie. Like, whether it's like I'm finally making my anime film, or I'm finally making my you know kung fu movie, or I'm finally making my mm. Holocaust revenge story, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, instead of yeah, like, yeah, it seems like the topic is a set piece of its own for yeah, him. Yeah, or the setting, as in as in uh, Once Upon a Time yeah, in yeah. Hollywood, right? Uh, yeah. Like, it, whereas Pulp Fiction wasn't about any of that to me. Like, I watched that. I'm like, this guy actually wanted to tell this story. Yeah. I you mean, know? it is LA, you know, like it is these things, but it's like not saying loudly, hey, this is like a period piece or something like that. Um, yeah. Even though it probably is. I mean, he probably imagined it. I don't even remember when Pulp Fiction's supposed to take place if it's current modern retelling or it's supposed to take place slightly in the past i think it's contemporary but someone will point it out somebody will Uh, but the point is it's not the emphasis that's why we don't remember we don't recall True. so can i tell you i didn't like drag me to hell i did not like it uh yeah i don't think you like horror films i know you don't really like horror films i like about half or maybe less what are some of your I loved I love Scream. Like? I loved It Follows. Uh I love The Shining. Um I kinda liked it a fair bit. Uh That's interesting. There's more that I can't think of. Uh oh, I love The Witch. Uh mm-hmm. I do like psychological thrillers better as a genre. Yeah, I was going to say almost all of the ones that you mentioned are more psychological yes. as opposed to emphasizing like the slight, like I can't, th- you would, you don't give a shit about Friday the 13th, do you? No, I don't. I mean, I care about it because I yeah, love Dave I don't really, and Tom. I don't Tom. really either. Yeah, I don't really either. Like I don't fuck with the nightmares. Nah. I understand how important, I feel like they built a thing that's amazing and they weren't there to see it become amazing <laughs> you know like the west cravens of the world it's like yeah you uh you're not good but you had ideas that made everyone go oh shit you can make a movie like that and you were first i think west um, i think west craven is is extremely creative uh and i think john carpenter is extremely creative and also a really talented ooh. like filmmaker like he knows how to tell a story mm-hmm. and also like how to get the most out of camera stuff like he's very practical gotta give it up for jc yeah yeah he's great uh, like i don't love his movies because i don't really like those kinds of movies like the thing is okay to me i'm not i'm not a thing guy you know it's it's fine yeah it's fine i prefer yeah i prefer psychological we can stuff still be friends like f- flaw I, i'm still friends with flawed people 
<laughs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. No, so, but this leads me to, so do you, I want to tell you why I didn't like Drag Me to Hell. I think it's going to surprise you. Um, Pour it on me. It's, it's because I did not feel like this woman deserved what happened to her. Mm-hmm. That really fucking bothered me. Yeah. Like I like I I know that uh, like uh, it made Sam Raimi feel a little meaner than I think he is. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, mm-hmm. she kills a kitten, and it's like why? Yeah, you know, like uh, sacrifice to live, right? But like I don't know, she didn't spend a lot of time problem solving that. I'll just put it to you that way. And the other thing, no, I mean, yeah, she could have gotten another cat. <laughs> I mean, or just like I don't know, fucking something like, else. She could have gone to the store and got a mouse that nobody you're cares murdering about. Something. It doesn't matter what you murder. Well, what is your you're kitten? Still a murderer. Come on. Anyway, so fine. You're still a murderer. <laughs> I'm Buy not a saying it's like there's a better way. And get it done. There's no. I, there's not a better way to murder. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying about how it's like it seems unjust. But, but, but yeah, just I, I want to do one minute on this and then I'll move on. I, I swear to God. So like, hit me. So look, <laughs> this woman, this this. By the way, I don't think gypsy is an ethnic slur. I don't think it is. If it is, I apologize. Uh, I think it's sometimes used that way. I think but, it can yeah. be you. I think when you're describing the behavior of like swindling somebody as gypsy or gypped or something, that's not acceptable. But I think mm-hmm. the term mm-hmm. is just an ethnic group of people. I could be wrong. I'm sorry if I am, but please forgive me, audience. So this gypsy woman, uh, she is completely unreasonable from the jump. And uh, I, I think we're supposed to believe that Christine, that Christine's desire to be assistant manager at a bank is greedy. And like, it's not. That's a completely fucking reasonable goal for her. Being assistant manager at a bank is not like, I want to be president and oppress people. You know what I mean? Or like, I want to be rich. It's like, I just want to succeed in my job because I need to. Uh, like, like it's not a lofty goal that's sort of like out of reach and she's squashing people to get there. Like, that's not the vibe I get. And this this woman who shows up is num- completely fucking unreasonable, like a hundred percent. Like the touching and everything that she does is like like aggressive and manipulative. And Christine basically just makes a hard call. And the rest of the movie, it's like, yeah, man, you should have done that. And then at the end, and this is why it bothered me the most. It, I was okay with it until the end. She's like, yeah, I really could have given it to her. You know what I mean? And that's when she gets dragged to hell. And I'm like. No, you couldn't have. Like this is like she she didn't have the money, and clearly she's got a billion yeah. family members. What the fuck are we talking about here? You know, like I I mean, one hundred percent right. I think that is all intended. Yeah, I liked your interpretation of the movie. Although I think that I I think it takes a pretty smart movie watcher to get that. Like I think the average moviegoer just sort of thinks like shrug about the motivations of the characters. I don't know. I think most people can suss out that uh, you don't have to be uh, ambition incarnate in order for your sin in a single moment to be ambition. But it's not played. And maybe this is my critique of the directing. It's played in a. You don't think it's a sin? I don't think it's played like one. I think it's played like. Uh, uh, I mean, I know the movie later says it is, but like, so I'm not disputing that the movie at some point says that it is that. I'm disputing the right. way that it's done in the scene. Mm-hmm. 
is so she this woman is so aggressive and wacky that it feels completely justified. That's why I think the theme is justice because it's it's a it's a malformed form of justice. There's justice on one like f- side and there's justice on another side, and then there's the audience's justice. What we think is like the premier justice, right? And so you're like, and what you mean by justice is kind of like this like cruel fate, where like, but what you mean yeah, in this g- case, in this case, that's what you mean. G- giving each their due right except i mean i guess she's do that and how you define due is the difference that's what makes justice not codified that's uh, this right? is i don't know where uh, the way you're saying it is like unspooling more things i want to ask but i don't want to go on forever about this <laughs> i so like and i don't want to like get into another philosophical no, I, religion i want to understand chat. i don't want to do that I, I apologize for keep uh interrupting or whatever uh or like throwing us no, no, it's Down okay. Different areas. I just, I guess, I, I'm not sure if it's a critique of Raimi or if it's just like you and I are on opposite ends of a divide here. I think here's my main view. Yeah. I think it's like forget all what I said and just I think it is intentional because I think he wants that frustration to be in your mind, like because then it can happen to you because then right. you're like, what? No, right. I'm not crazy right, here, right, right. right? So that's. I think he's using it to an effect. Maybe he's, maybe it's not right. Maybe it makes us mad. But ultimately when we're watching it, we're like, oh, don't. Yeah. We have a visceral reaction to time and time again. She keeps getting fucked over. And it's just like, ah, it's all in time with what he's doing. He's giving us these loopholes. He's giving us, all right, you can sacrifice a cat or you can do all these things to get out of the actual like damning. But Time and time again, he dangles it in front of us, and we're just trying to, like, please, just give her an out, man. Because right. at this point, it's not... We, we all started, and it was unjustified. That's what he's talking I, about. He's like, yeah, sometimes horror is... There is no justice. Right, and that's unusual. For, or you feel there is no That's justice. unusual for horror films, because most of them are definitely, like... Uh, how do I describe like based around a kind of Catholic understanding of sin, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, uh, like you you do something wrong, and the university, or maybe even just like a That's karmic, true. a karmic I idea. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah, this is very not. This is not uh, this flattering. Right. This is a little bit more like 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 the Grecian myths that inspired it, which is sort of like, look, it's right. not that you did anything wrong. It's just you got a curse on you, man. It's kind of Old Testament. Uh, see, I don't agree with that interpretation of the Old Testament, but. I would say it's like old Greek myths where it's like, no, like uh, it's uh, Oedipus didn't do anything wrong that he had this doom laid on him. Right. But like, he still got the doom on him. Like it's fatalistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we should all be allowed to fuck our moms. (laughs) (laughs) You know, You know, we accidentally killed our dads. That's not wrong. Well, uh, uh, but we did want it. But it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, no, because Oedipus is actually a really great example because uh, he doesn't. It's like comedy of errors. <laughs> you know, it's like noises off the tragedy because right. it's just one thing happens another. He's like, oh, fuck. It's I got hoodwinked again. But like it doesn't you know? it doesn't start it, like notably. As far as I remember, uh, it does not start with uh, 
Oedipus, like, you know, like cheating a fairy or something or like, or belittling a witch. Right, right. It's not a... It doesn't start with like, well, you did this shitty thing. Now you're a beast for 20 years until a woman falls in love with you or forever. Either way. You know what I mean? Classical and neoclassical kind of justice. Right. You know, like the ugly, the bad guy, the bad guy who's like morally corrupt is also the ugly guy who's like, oh, you know, it's like there's, there's these tropes that come out of just an undeniable, infallible system of justice. It's like most movies with a gypsy curse in them are basically like drag me to hell or thinner, right? Where like Mm -hmm. the curse is like, no matter what you do. You did something wrong. You pissed off the wrong person, and so you're gonna pay for it. You're gonna you're gonna run away from it, run away from it, run away from it. But like, n- unless you fix things with this gypsy somehow, you're you're this curse is gonna play itself out. And then even if you do, mm-hmm. you're probably gonna suffer anyway, because there's always a twist every time. It feels like most gypsy movies there's a twist at the end, um, which happened here, right? Like so. Yeah. Do you think? It, it, Maybe I got confused by this. Does the button actually matter? Yeah. Does the button actually matter? Because like at the in the end, it's the uh, ritualistic uh, center stone, you right. know, of the right. In the end, doesn't the it's the boyfriend that has the button? Why doesn't he go to hell? He was not gifted. Uh, He's just carrying. So the curse rules. I got you. So the curse rule is that that's the writ that they're over. Yeah, yeah, you got got it. it. Okay, so the unfortunate thing is, I actually had to copy "Drag Me to Hell" for that short film that we made a few a few years back for Cracked, uh, which is why I saw the ending to this because Soren and the script. Oh, said said, like like, "Drag drag Me to Hell," and I was like, "Okay, I better see what that is." And then I watched. I was like, "Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should do that." And then we did, you know, a cheaper version of that. Uh, uh-huh. Which is a bummer because that would have been a very satisfying experience had I not known. Yeah, I love how the, it's got multiple shots, and I love how her face is slowly turning into yeah. a skeleton. Yeah, it's really cruel. Yeah, uh, I, f- I it's felt really, really cruel. bad for her when it was. I was like, oh no, that's that slasher films though, man. They're all cruel. But see, again, in most slasher and films, and this isn't a slasher, but it comes of, out right, of that. It comes out of that genre. In most yeah. slasher films, Nev Campbell gets away at the end. Like yeah, maybe maybe you kill uh, Rose McGowan's character, right? Who's like maybe a little shitty, but she didn't deserve to die. That's true. There's a protagonist, yeah, and survives. Sydney gets away, right? In this movie, no matter what Sydney does, she's fucked. And yeah, and that's just a different viewpoint to a horror movie. Because I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's like where if we just chose our protagonist to be like Kevin Bacon in Friday Thirteenth, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like just. Because for everyone else involved, like as Jason or Michael Myers is running around, he's, he's there's no justice to the death. Like they they usually fuck, and then it's like yeah. oh horror Sex. rules, as Sex. as Scream pointed out. Um, but you know it's uh, it's just what if your protagonist wasn't you know um, Jamie Lee Curtis? You know, right? What is it wasn't Nev Campbell? That's all it's doing, right? Uh, but it does make you feel like it's unjust. That's, I think, the point. Well, I, I think all I think all myths about fate are fundamentally about contemplating justice and how it diverges from fate. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, everyone I can think of is fundamentally about that. Anyway, I didn't want to diverge too much. I love this presentation uh, about Sam Raimi. What a great filmmaker. And uh, this is a very good film to talk about. You did great, man. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome, buddy. Also, R.I.P. Sean Connery. 
Oh yeah, that happened. I know. Today. Sean Connery, man. James Bond. I didn't care that much about that. Just like in, he was just a guy. You know what I mean? Like he's just one of those guys. He's yeah. You know, you should say his eulogy. Welcome to the Rock. You know, God, we gotta watch. We the do rock need to now. watch the Rock now. I mean, like you must not Sean hate. Connery. By the time we got to him, <laughs> you know what I mean. After he'd been, yeah. by the time we got to him, was famous just for they, being Sean Connery. The world had already had it. The world had had its fun with Sean Connery yeah. before we got but to him. By yeah. our by our era, he was already famous just for being Sean Connery. You know, like, uh, yeah, that's yeah, a big yeah. name. I mean, I know he's been out of the limelight for a pretty long time, but that's a big name. So, uh, huge yeah. name. Anyway, RIP. Yeah. So, RIP. Yeah, RIP. And also, those of you who are listening, if you haven't voted, what are you doing? Get your ass out there and vote. It's literally tomorrow. Get out there and vote, dude. Don't don't fuck around with this. Just get out there and vote. Like if you if you're listening to this on the day of release, you need to go. It's you need to go in person. By the way, don't mail it now. Go in per, Go yeah, in you person. You can't even mail yeah. it. Yeah. Go in person if you have not voted, and vote in your election and be an American. And uh, <clears throat> and I know. I just have to say it officially, you know, as a part of the podcast. Everyone keeps saying it, but don't vote. Don't write in me. Don't when you vote. Don't vote for <laughs> Abe Epperson. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Everyone keeps saying it in the comments. They're like, "Vote Abe 2020," and I'm like, "Don't, don't throw your vote away like that, oh, yeah. everyone." So I just needed to officially. Yeah, say you're it. really afraid that you're you're going to be the tipping point state. Abe Epperson is you the know, tipping I could, point. I could steal some votes, some crucial votes, and some swing yeah, California states. California is right on the edge, so yeah, you could be a real problem, child. God, you know what? People like two days after this and forever are going to know the result and be listening to us who don't know the yeah. result of the election. That makes this terrifying. It, it, I, well, I didn't want to bring up the truly scary things before we were about to sign off, and the election is... That's the horror, it, dude, true horror. It, who movie. knows? Who knows what one week from now... Our, our world's going to be like, who knows? It, it's a complete mystery. Uh, and every every situation seems plausible, honestly. So, you know, yeah. good luck. Good luck, every one of you. Be, be wise. <sighs> be smart. Take care of yourselves. Drag me to hell. <laughs> we might have to. <laughs> this has been a small beans endeavor we're a bunch of pals who make podcasts sketches music web series and movies the beans always have new ideas percolating so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash small beans where you can browse all of our current and past content see what we've got planned in the future and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans if you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!